Gittleman here for you for the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. I am the First Lady of Nutrition with 37 books, and I want you to check out my latest book, Radical Longevity, at radicallongevitybook.com. Visit me on my website at annlouise.com. And today we have a very special guest. We have my dentist, the very best dentist in Seattle, and as far as I'm concerned, in the whole United States. He's residency and fellowship trained in TMJ, orofacial pain disorders, and dental sleep medicine. He's He's none other than Dr. Jason Paling, and I want to welcome you to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Welcome, Dr. Paling. Hello, thanks for inviting me. But I need to know, why did you decide to go into TMJ areas of disorders? What is so important about the TMJ? Yeah, when I was in dental school, kind of searching for what I wanted to do, um, the field was just starting to progress at that time. And I was lucky enough to, uh, when I went to the University of California at San Francisco, that they had an oral facial pain clinic there. And so, you know, as a sort of naive dental student, I wandered down there and then found it rather fascinating and interesting that this was an area that seemed to kind of fall between medicine and dentistry and wasn't really taught in like dental school curriculums and wasn't really taught in medical school curriculums. And so it really was kind of this black box or area that kind of fit fell down into the crack, but I could see the importance of sort of jaws and bites and teeth. And so I found it rather, found it interesting because I got to kind of use, there's a little bit of medicine, a little dentistry, a little psychology, a little physical therapy, um, all kind of mixed into it that you need to be able to understand in order to sort of treat things properly. So what, you know, we, my, my people are very aware of the toxicity of hidden dental infections. They know about the toxicity of uh, root canals and of cavitations and of improperly taken out fillings and so forth. But what is it about the jaw and the bite that's so important? What do people miss about it? How does it affect functioning in the brain in particular? Sure. So, you know, one of the things to think about is, you know, jaws are one of these things that we kind of take for granted until they don't work. And then yes. it's hard to think about anything else after yeah. that. Yes. So for instance, you know, jaws are super important, which we'll talk about about in breathing. So jaw and arch development is necessary for breathing. And you can go, you know, you can live for maybe two minutes without breathing. Um, drinking and swallowing, which maybe you can go to two days. Jaws are super important for um, being able to do those functions. Chewing, eating, swallowing. You know, these are sort of the very basic primal things that we need to have to survive that, you know, anthropologically have moved up since, you know, we were, you know, reptiles and whatnot. And so the neurologic programming for these functions goes super deep into our brain and into our brainstem, into kind of the old brain, which is why our fight or flight nervous system gets so reactive when there's problems with this system. And then even in the higher function areas, such as, you know, talking, singing, kissing, facial expression, you know, all of these things are jaw function. And that's why, again, what I was saying is, is 
when it stops working for you, it's hard to do anything else because it affects all of these things that we need are that are sort of life sustaining for us. So how do you know if something is wrong with your TMJ or your jaw? Do you, is, is it just pain? Can you have issues and it has nothing to do with pain? Can you have issues with teeth that are missing and affecting your bite and so forth? I mean, you know, people are getting their teeth pulled rather than getting uh, root canals and they may not be getting replacement teeth and, and don't want to get any kind of dental implants. How does that impact? I, and, you know, I'm talking from personal experience because, as you know, I have two molars missing. So what would that mean for somebody? Yeah, sure. So just kind of a little basic um you know, a little basic sort of framework of anatomy, you know, so your jaw joints or your temporal mandibular joints sit right in front of your ears and they allow your jaw to move. And it is kind of like a ball and socket such as like in your hip, but actually it has a much more complicated movement that we need for, you know, speech articulation and chewing. And so we have these two joints that are attached together somewhat like the hip joints. And so we have these two mirror joints. And then if you think of it, we have 32 teeth, you know, 16 up and 16 down if you don't have your wisdom teeth taken out. And those are almost like little mini joints in between these two bigger joints on each side. And so these little mini joints of the teeth articulation support the jaw joint articulation with the skull base. And so any shifts in teeth articulation eventually affects jaw articulation, which then affects head and neck position and eventually makes it all the way down, makes itself all the way down into the pelvis. And so what you kind of find is, is you know, if you think about it, the pelvis is the basically the bottom of the spine and it's a double joint that kind of points down. The jaw joints are the double joint that points up and it's your lower jaw is basically the top of your neck. And so <clears throat> any changes in sort of neck and spine position eventually affect the jaw and the bite and any effects in the bite eventually affect these other things. I, for instance, have physical therapists who will send me patients who their main complaint is actually sort of like neck, back and hip problems that they find they can't get stabilized until we stabilize their jaw function and position. See, that's what I find so fascinating. And as you know, I mean, I've been a patient of yours. We can just tell my whole podcast listening audience for many years at this point. And I had a um, very near, near fatal uh, concussion many years ago, and I knocked out two teeth. What you taught me about knocking out two teeth, I thought was very important. And that is if you've got two molars missing on the upper left side, particularly, that could be affecting your proprioception. Can you talk a little bit more about that and the work you do with physical therapists? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the things, so if you think, you know, the molars are, are, particularly the what we call the first molar, which would be the like the third one from the back if you had your wisdom teeth, is extremely important because you know not only does it support the jaw joint. So if you're missing those teeth, you get compression into that jaw joint because the teeth aren't um, they're not supporting the jaw joint on that side. And so what will start to happen over time is you'll start getting some collapse or pressure into that jaw joint. As your jaw joint gets that pressure, it will eventually, just like any other joint, start to wear down and shift. And then your jaw position will shift that way. And when that starts to happen, 
it pulls on your upper cervical spine. Um, and so your C1, 2 particularly start to pull and shift and rotate. Scalenes will tighten up, which affects scalenes and trapezius will start to tighten up, which will affect your shoulder um, and upper back region. And then, you know, sort of the cascade moves all the way down. And so <clears throat> what we can do, for instance, is, is um, I'll have patients that come in, say, from the physical therapist like that. And <clears throat> I'll take a look at their and assess their bite. And what I can do is make a basically give them this temporary good bite, taking kind of a little wax record or I put material between their teeth that kind of simulates a good bite. And then we can test their cervical range of motion, rotation, side flexion. We can check their shoulder mobility and we can even check their hips. And so we'll find uh, flexion and extension in their legs and hips will change once I give them proper sort of jaw support and stability. Um, people will actually, you can even get them up and watch them walk before we give them bite stability and you'll see kind of a twist or a lean in them. And then I can put in the little bite that kind of simulates a good bite and you'll see them, their whole sort of body proprioception and the way that they walk and stand shift and change. So <clears throat> that's what happens when somebody comes in because it's like they come in to see me and they're like, well, you know, my rank complaint is my like my like back and hip. I'm not exactly sure why I'm here, but my physical therapist told me to come here um, or sometimes even and chiropractors will do the same. And so I'll say, well, okay, let's do a few tests and see if you can notice the difference. And so people are always amazed when all of a sudden uh, I give them sort of, I change their bite and they get a good bite and they're like, oh, I haven't been able to turn my head like this for years or since I was injured or uh, whatnot. That's what I find so interesting. So if people have certain types of unresolved pain in the shoulder, in the neck, in the scalenes, then you look to the jaw, you look to the missing teeth. You taught me something very interesting, and that is that the upper molars are like the heels of your body. Can you explain that, how the teeth mirror your feet? Yeah, yeah. and so <clears throat> this is something that uh, um, it comes through a physical therapist named uh, like Ron Haruska who does uh, Postural Restoration Institute. And I've been working with um, several physical therapists who are kind of under studies uh, with him and taken kind of several classes um, with him. And kind of like how we, you know, how I was saying sort of the hips mirror the jaw joint. And then within the jaw joint are these joints of the teeth. Um, <clears throat> opposite, then we have the hips and then we have the, the feet are kind of the joints in some degree between the hips. And so the feet joints, the way that the feet are touching and grounding to the ground affects your hips. So if you have you know, pronation, supination in your feet, that will give you a rotation in your hips. Just as if you have a missing tooth or say a crossbite or a bad bite will give you shifts or rotations in your jaw joints. And so, um, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Haruska has found it kind of correlated that even kind of more closely and found that, you know, even certain teeth correlate, you know, to the function of, say, your big toe, which is, you know, which is your main driver in your foot, just as your molars are your main kind of drivers for your jaw. I find that so fascinating. So what I like about the work that you do is you're integrative, 
you are alternative and yet you're very clinical. How are you able to uh, mesh all of those together? Yeah, you know, so I certainly come from, um, you know, a very like the westernized <laughs> education, you know, I did, uh, went through dental school and I had my, you know, residency and got my master's degree in orofacial pain and TMJ disorders. And then I did a postdoc pain fellowship for a year um, and I sponsored one. And so, you know, I very much came to the traditional approach, but in the sense of like, it's like, okay, there's just a lot of stuff that we can't explain and we don't know. And I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know everything. And it's like lots of things have been around for thousands of years that, that work and might not quite understand how they work. And so, you know, for me, it's always, I, I love like learning new things and then trying to sort of integrate that into, you know, what I'm from my education and experience and how that makes, you know, sense. You know, for instance, even, you know, like things like acupuncture, it's like, well, that's been around for thousands of years and has treated, you know, millions of patients. And so how does that work? And it's like, well, acupuncture works through directing blood flow, you know, just as when you needle anything, it directs blood flow to that area. And so, you know, it's a very integrate system of directing blood flow to nerves and muscles and things like that. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things that I find sort of super fascinating. And as far as in what we we're talking about with proprioception, you know, that really came through like clinical experience of like, I would be, I would get somebody's jaw right. And they would all of a sudden tell me, you know, oh my gosh, I've, my, my shoulder pain's gone down or my hip pain's gone down. Um, and I've been working on that for years. Um, when I was uh, um, early on, I was working with a physical medicine and rehab physician and he was having knee pain and it just wouldn't go away with all the therapy and gone to the orthopedist and steroid shots and they wanted to do surgery. And so I started working on him a little bit. He's like, well, you work on me. And all of a sudden his knee pain went away. And he said, you know, now I got to joke with all my orthopedic friends that I, I had to go to the dentist to treat my knee. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that how everything is all interrelated. But you use Botox sometimes in your practice and you use, uh, what do they call that, Restylane. What are the conditions that benefit from those two treatments? Yeah, so, you know, Botox is, of course, a really interesting um, drug and, you know, it Botox does come from the botulinum toxin, although it's super, super purified down and you use almost use the tiniest amount of Botox has significant effects. And what it does is it binds where the nerves basically kind of release chemicals onto the muscles or talk to the muscles to tell them to contract. And so there are situations where either because of somebody's fight or flight nervous system is too sort of revved up that they're just recruiting so much jaw tension that it's going to be hard to treat them because there's just too much load and stress going on to those jaw joints. Now, over the long term, it's like, okay, can we do things to kind of decrease the fight or flight nervous system? Um, yes, and we try to do that, but you know, if their jaw is killing them right now, we need things, sometimes tools to have a more immediate effect so that we can start you know, working our way through that longer process. Um, and so Botox works extremely well for just decreasing the load and stress onto the jaw joint in, you know, it works in like three to seven days and it lasts about three months. Um, you know, I try in that situation for me, ideally that's not, um, 
the sort of sustaining long-term treatment if we can. Um, but it's super helpful because you can sort of all of a sudden decrease someone's muscle tension, their tension headaches, you can decrease their migraines, you can decrease their <laughs> tooth pain, you know, all very quickly with that. And so particularly in this last year of COVID where there's been a lot of uh, sort of fight or flight nervous system activation and uncertainty, yes. I've had more people come in than ever just saying, I, you know, I need something to, uh, you know, I need something to kind of calm this all down a little bit because, you know, I can't work. I'm having trouble functioning. I'm, you know, I get migraines every day. And so to be able to have a tool that can kind of lessen that in a week is, is very, very helpful. Um, so like Restylane is a type, is what people do facial fillers with. And that is, um, a derivative of hyaluronic acid. And hyaluronic acid um, is what's in cartilage and it binds, you know, like six to 10 times its weight in water. And so it binds water into our skin, which is why you find hyaluronic acid in, you know, lotions and skin treatment products. Um, you can put it into, you know, people put it into their lips to kind of poof up their lips because it binds water and basically poofs those up. And in cartilage, which is our kind of our shock absorbing um, structures in our jaw joints, cartilage is normally kind of spongy and squishy because that's what gives it the kind of the waterbed effect. It also lets things glide and slide. And so when you start getting degenerative changes in the jaw joint, it breaks down the cartilage and you have less hyaluronic acid in the cartilage and also the synovial fluid, which is the fluid that bathes the joint. Um, and so everything starts moving kind of slow and creaky or sometimes won't move at all. And so some people might be familiar with, they'll notice in their jaw joints when they open and close kind of a crackling or creaky kind of sound in there. And that is, kind of that roughness, kind of the bone on bone pressure and wear that's happening. And so you can inject hyaluronic acid, which is a natural constituent of our cartilage. And it's basically like putting a little WD-40 and cushioning in the joint. <laughs> I love it. And you're, you're starting, at least you, you were able to do this with me to put some stem cell and growth factors in there as well in the TMJ joint. Are you planning on doing that as part of your practice? Um, yeah, so we've, you know, stem cells have been, you know, something that is is definitely going to be a much bigger part of orthopedic medicine in general, um, and you know, we're developing better and better protocols for that. You know, particularly, you know, stem cells can are the precursor cells for the cells that make cartilage and bone and you know and skin and all of these structures. But so far, the some of the problem has been. Um, you can put them in there, but you need the all the cells and the joint fluid and the chemical mediator factors around to tell the stem cells what to do. And so we're just starting to be able to do that more and more. And, you know, that's where, you know, sort of things like nutrition and things like that. Like if you put stem cells in sort of a, a nutritionally deficient structure, there's not going to be all this normal signaling that tells it what to do. And so if you can sort of get the proper, you know, sort of nutrition uh, and have the body ready for when you uh, put the stem cells in there, you're going to get a much better effect. 
Um, and that's also the way that things like prolotherapy or in PRP, which is basically you're kind of pointing your body to the area that you need it to go and work on. Uh, and you're sort of trying to direct the body to that area because in the end, all healing comes from one's body. We just try to help it out. And I love the way that you're helping it out so naturally and so organically, as they say. So do you think that many conditions involving the ear, for example, I want to move on to tinnitus and uh, ear ringing, is that TMJ related? Yeah, so tinnitus is, I have to say, it's probably one of the trickier symptoms for a few reasons. One, um, because it can come from a lot of different things. It can come from hearing loss, you know, getting your brain bonked. Um, it can come from um, neck problems, jaw problems. And so particularly tinnitus that is high pitched and never changes, that's typically more of a brain to sort of auditory nerve processing problem. However, there are ear symptoms are super common with TMJ problems because if you kind of feel on the side of your head, your jaw joint sits just in front of your ear. And it's a really thin bone structure between the back of the jaw joint and the front of the ear. And there's actually even the back, there's a back ligament in the jaw joint that supports the meniscus in place there, the main ligament. It actually has fibers that run through the jaw joint into the middle ear. And so when the meniscus which shifts which is when people get popping or clicking in their jaw is the meniscus shifting in their jaw joint it can pull on that ligament which puts pressure into the ear and also inflammation in the jaw joint puts sort of backward like ear pressure into there and so you get those both by that ligament effect and just by swelling effect and your jaw joint and your ears both sit in your temporal bone, which is the bones on the side of your head. Um, now, we are commonly taught in traditional medical education that skull bones don't move. There's no joints and you know, you get a dead skull, it's all hard and the only thing that moves is the jaw. But there's actually little sutures between each and every bone in your skull and you can get little torques in them over time. Um, by sort of muscle tension and sort of what will start to happen is, is it'll pull on the bones and the bones will very slowly can kind of change position and shapes. Um, you can see that, you know, in people's faces over time or if they have an injury or um, you can see changes in their facial structure as those bones very slowly shift and change. Uh, so when you have jaw joint problems, one of the big muscles that controls your jaw is your temporalis muscle. And that's what sits right on the side of your head and your temples. Super commonplace for people to get headaches. If you put your fingers there and you clench, you'll feel that muscle bulge. And it's a really strong muscle. And when you over recruit that muscle, it pulls on that temporal bone underneath of that temporalis jaw muscle. And over time, it will put a little stress and torque onto that bone. The auditory nerves runs through a super really small bony canal to get it into the middle ear from basically the brain. And if you get a little torque on that temporal bone, it can put a little pressure onto that nerve that then can cause result in tinnitus. And so the really common symptoms, uh, ear pressure, like you feel like you're underwater, 
Um, very common with TMJ disorders. Ear pain, very common with TMJ disorders. Uh, and tinnitus definitely happens, but that's one that we kind of have to check a few more bases to, um, as well. How interesting. Now you, you mentioned something about that fight or flight syndrome. Is that what causes teeth clenching? I mean, what is that physiological response when people are under stress? We clench, we grind. How do you stop that from happening? Yes. So remember how I, what I was saying is jaws are um, very sort of old neurologic wiring, because if you think about it, if you think of like, a, you know, an, an alligator or, or a snake or a tiger, when they get, when they're sort of get fearful or scared, you know, they're going to, that's their defense, their jaws or their defense mechanism. And so it's a very, one, a very primal protective instinct to recruit your jaw muscles when there's some sort of actual or perceived threat to your, you know, to your body or, and the other thing is, is when we clench, there are actual physiologic things that happen, such as when I clench my jaw, I tighten up the muscles along the side of my neck. I tighten up uh, the muscles on the, along the back of my neck. Um, and it stabilizes my head so that if I got hit in the head, it supports those neck muscles in order to basically, you know, keep my head on straight uh, and my jaw on straight. Um, so, and it also tends to kind of push the tongue a little bit forward in order to open up your airway space so that you can get more oxygen in case you decide you need to flight instead of fight. So, <clears throat> The, with between that sort of very deep neurologic wiring and these physiologic effects of what it does to kind of support our musculoskeletal system and open up our airway space, teeth clenching has is a very natural thing to happen when we have the stress fight or flight nervous system response. And so the problem is, is now, you know, we're no longer do we have, you know, the tiger jumping out of the bushes in our system our fight or flight nervous system revs up for whatever, you know, 15 minutes and then goes away. We, you know, in our modern society, we have sort of daily ongoing continuous stressors, which turn on that fight or flight nervous system, which then make you clench your teeth. And that clenching then overloads the jaw joints. And that happens both when you're asleep and in the awake state. Now, Obviously, in the sleep state, it is harder to control than when you're in the wake state and you can try and do kind of, you know, habit reversal training. Um, as far as how do you calm down the fight or flight nervous system, you know, that is um, a, uh, you know, something that is kind of plagued medicine in general because, you know, it affects, you know, hearts and backs and necks and all kinds of things, you know, chronic stress does, you know, what I try and work on with people is when you get into a fight or flight nervous system response, your breathing changes. Um, there's a book by James Nestor that wrote that came out here this last year called breathe and he kind of talks about it and he does a good job of explaining some of that, you know, for instance, breathing when you're under stress it starts to happen way up high in your chest, like up into your scalenes and your trapezius. And basically we start to kind of try to pull, open up our rib cage and we breathe way up high there. Versus if you watch, you know, like a baby breathe who hasn't had 
had all the life stressors <laughs> over the years, you watch mm -hmm. their abdomens sort of move in and out in a sort of natural flowing manner. And so breathing is the, something that we can do both consciously and unconsciously. And so if we can start to get our breathing mechanics more normalized, that will start to lower our fight or flight nervous system. Oh, uh, I like that. I like that very much. That's an, that's an easy fix. Not, not so easy, but it's a great fix. Yes. And, you know, like one thing, and, you know, I find this even helpful for myself at times, you know, if I feeling sort of stress or anxiety, that stress or anxiety response, which, you know, is a super difficult response once it starts getting, you can start to feel it build into your system. It's hard to say, okay, don't think about that. Don't, you know, don't feel that, don't think about that. It's hard to redirect when you feel that starting to wind up. One little trick that I've learned is, uh, and actually uh, James Nestor talks about it in his book there, is when I start to feel tension or anxiety, what I can do is, is if I let all my breath out and really sort of push all the breath out all through my ribs and hold it, you don't go very long before there is a very physiologic imperative to want to breathe. And that physiologic imperative takes over any type of anxiety that you have. So, you know, if you're sort of, if I'm somewhere where I feel a little nervous about something, I'll push all my air out here and really try to get the left ribs to move in and push that air out and hold it. All of a sudden, Anything that I'm thinking about that's causing me any kind of anxiety or tension goes away. And all I think about is how much I want to take a nice, a deep, uh, breath. a healthy breath, a healthy, deep breath. Exactly. And so to me, that shows just that it's that part of that control mechanism of how much, you know, breathing is related to our fight or flight nervous system um, revving up. So interesting. And as we close out the interview, you know, this is a wonderful segue. There's a lot of interest now about airways. I'm thinking about airway passages and breathing and jaw and the bite. And even young kids are now being taken into their integrative medicine doctors and they're being treated for poor airways or closed airways. I'm not sure what the technological term is, but what is this whole thing about airways and why is it coming to the forefront today? Yeah, sure. So this is a really interesting area of in my field that's progressing, you know, rapidly. And many of the causes of jaw problems and airway breathing problems like sleep apnea and whatnot um, have a similar cause, and that is too small of an upper jaw, which is your maxilla. And when you have too small of an upper jaw, it locks your lower jaw back backwards which also locks your tongue backwards, which then narrows the airway space on the back of your throat. Now it's like, okay, if you took anthropologically, you'll notice, you, I mean, we can see how our upper jaws have really gotten a lot smaller over these, even these, over these last couple hundred years. And so it's like, okay, why is that? Mm. And a couple factors, you know, sort of come into play there. One is there's just so many more allergens out in our world today. And so people have a lot more allergies, which then causes you, your nose to get stuffy, which causes you not to breathe your nose. It causes you to start to mouth breathe. When you mouth breathe, it changes your facial structures and tends to give you a narrow, a narrow palate, which makes it so your tongue can't sit up in its proper position 
When your tongue can't sit up on the roof of your mouth, you change your swallow and you start to tongue thrust swallow, which then decreases your development of your upper jaw. And so we start getting these narrow, small upper jaws that shove our jaw joints back towards our ears and tend to make our jaws pop and click and make our airways too small. And back in like the 80s and 90s, um, orthodontics, we said, oh, okay, you don't have enough room for all your teeth. So we're just gonna, put, we're gonna pull your teeth. What that ended up doing is sort of potentiating or exacerbating the problem because when you have teeth, it causes further growth in the maxilla. But when we take them out, you don't get that drive. So now we just made, gave you this smaller, flatter arch that shoves your jaw joints back too far and shoves your tongue back into your throat. And there's so many patients that come in and, you know, and I can see it as soon as they walk in and talk to me. Uh, I can just see by the way that they hold their jaw that that's the case. And I'll be like, so if you just let your jaw relax and put your tongue up in a relaxed position, like at that na 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 place, like kind of like in yoga or whatnot, and just let your jaw hang, you'll notice if you close from there, you run into your front teeth because that's where your jaw wants to sit. But your upper jaw front teeth are too far back, which pins your lower jaw and tongue back too far. Um, other things have also been indicated into this is, you know, our change in our diets, um, which, you know, we have all our softer, more processed food. And so we don't have the hard bones and things that cause when you put pressure on bones, it causes further development of those of that arch size and even things like breastfeeding, which causes a pressure up onto the upper jaw and leads to more expansion. Bottle feeding and sucking causes narrowing of the upper jaw, um, <clears throat> which leads to this underdevelopment of the upper jaw. Mm. So what do you do for it? Do you have to make a piece? You have a, you have a special piece that I noticed in my introductory uh, uh, material from your office. It's a special thin, you, I'm just trying to figure it out right now. Sure. Yeah. So there's biomed. Know, it's called the biomed ultra thin TMJ. Uh, yeah. So that, that is a different thing. That is for uh, basically a super thin um, arthroscope that lets me look into the jaw joints. But for what you're talking about there, um, there are many types of arch expanders. Now, by far and away, the best thing is if you catch it early and young, you know, nine to 12 year olds, we can do a lot of arch expansion early because the palatal bones haven't fused. And uh. you can save so many problems if you get it that early. And also if you work, make sure if there's nasal allergies or things like that, that those are addressed so that we're not mouth breathing. Like in indigenous cultures, mothers would sit and watch their babies and they would close their lips. Oh, they, how fascinating. How fascinating. We have so many much more mouth breathing now than we ever have, which is also part of that fight or flight nervous system revving up because you can take in so much air super quick versus nose breathing is a much more, you know, sort of subtle, slower process. Now in adults, once the palatal bones fuse, you can't get near the arch expansion that you once could get. And so that's why it's so important to try to do that and catch that when we're young. So what we end up doing, we put in very slow arch expanders on adults because kind of like uh, if you push on a bone really lightly and slowly over a long period of time, 
it changes and moves, which is the same way that arthritis happens. Um, so we, you can take advantage of that same effect of putting very slow light pressure on the bones and you can start to get a little movement there to get some level of arch expansion in adults. Um, the other part of that is making sure you have a proper swallow mechanism and that your tongue tie, that you aren't super tongue tied. When you're very tongue tied, it keeps your tongue low down and hooked to your lower jaw, which doesn't let the normal swallow pattern, which we do once a minute, go and push up into the upper jaw, which causes expansion of the upper jaw naturally. We, when you're tongue tied and low tongue position, you tend to tongue thrust when you swallow, which again gives us this long, narrow arched palate. Um, and so I have to look at swallow patterns very frequently um, because incorrect swallow patterns will lead to kind of neck pain and tension in your jaws and your neck uh, and underdevelopment of the uh, upper jaw. So fascinating. So how would a young mother know if there was an issue with her child's airway? Um, one would be that they can't, they can't, um, well, snoring or any kind of thing like that. Um, mouth breathing, that they can't breathe through their nose or, you know, significant nasal allergies. And when you look at someone's smile, they should have kind of a wide smile, you know, across. If you see kind of just mostly those two front teeth, um, that is a very, that's going to be a narrow arch there. And if your tongue, if your child's tongue tied, which if you just have them open and put their tongue up, the middle part of their tongue and the, should be able to sit up onto the roof of their mouth. If it's pinned down by a little cord, um, that's when there is tongue tie that doesn't let that tongue go up into the normal swallowing pattern. You know, another, just before we end the little thing is, is, you know, there's so many people who are retainers after orthodontics and things like that. You know, we really shouldn't need retainers. If our swallow patterns, our cheeks and our tongues and our bite are normalized and our jaw joints are normalized and head position, you, everything is in balance and we don't need to hold things into sort of quote, kind of like artificial positions at times. Um, when everything's in balance, everything functions and sits where it's supposed to. Um, People never needed retainers, you know, years ago. <laughs> so fascinating. So how can people find you, Dr. Paling? Do they actually have to come and see you in Seattle? Do you do telemedicine? Yeah, I, I've done periodically, I'll do a, you know, like a consultation in, um, and try to kind of point people in the right direction. You know, however, a lot of my process is a very kind of hands-on, you know, process for the, with the examination and whatnot. And so I, you know, if I'm going to do much, do any treatment for say, um, then I would have people come out to my uh, office in, uh, in downtown Seattle. Wonderful. And it's quite an interesting experience. He has such a lovely office with wonderful people with, with a great staff. I've been there many, we, I've been a patient of yours for about how, how long now? Six years, seven years? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And we've got more work to do. The best, do. the best is yet to come. So I want to thank you so much for being my guest today on First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And I want to invite everybody to look at myannlouise.com page where you'll see all the other wonderful podcast guests. And make sure you check out unikeyhealth.com and cs-health.com for all of the products that I write about, lecture about, and consult about. So thank you so much again, Dr. Paling. Come back, if you will. Sure, absolutely. Thank you again, Anne Louise. What a pleasure. Love right. to everybody out there. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay vital. Bye.